Hey there and welcome. My name is Alonda Carter and I am the Recovering Hunbot and this is season one episode 18 of Hey Hun, You Woke Up. Today I will be speaking to Spike. Spike was a member of a high control group back in the 90s. Today she is the assistant of John A. Tack. John is a former Scientologist and he has done remarkable work in the field of helping people recover from Scientology and also research in high control groups, which you also might know them by the word cult. Spike and I are going to chat just in general, but then we're going to dive into chapter 22, which is called Ideological Totalism from Lifton's book, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism. Join me in welcoming Spike. But first, before we get started, I do want to welcome a new patron. Thank you so very much, Emily, for supporting me. I really appreciate it more than I possibly can express. And also, I want to share with you the local business that my husband and I supported last week, meaning we got one meal from this amazing barbecue place. As a matter of fact, it's my most favorite barbecue restaurant in Houston. There's three different locations. I used to live by the one located in Meyerland, and honestly, I was there like all the time because it's just so good. It is called Old Hickory Inn. For some reason, I always refer to it as like Hickory Pit, which is a total wrong name, but my husband knows what I'm talking about. If you happen to be in the Houston area and you are around any of these three locations, be it in the Meyerland, Mission Bend, or Missouri City, be sure that you check out this place because I promise you, you will have one yummy meal. And now let's get to the show. Spike, thank you so much for joining me today. It's such a pleasure to actually meet you in this virtual context. Now, when I originally, I guess, had a conversation with you, it was because I reached out to John Attack because I love his channel, which I learned about him because I was listening to Chris Shelton. And so I contacted John because I want to talk to him. And then I found you and you're his assistant. And I was like, and we just started going back and forth. And I was like, well, heck, you know, why don't you come on too? It's like, so I really want to hear about, because I know my audience isn't going to know who John is. So let them know who he is, how you became his assistant. And then I know we're going to also talk about um, Lifton and people are probably going to go like, well, who's Lifton? So if you can kind of like give us a like an overview of all of that, it'd be great. And then we'll just do our thing. Okay. Well, let's see. And it's great to be here. Thank you very much. Um, uh, let's see. So John Atak, he was in Scientology for about nine years. And when he got out, he, was, he had to leave because he was being asked to disconnect or not talk to one of his best friends. And he said, no way. And then he got out and he decided to look at what he'd been through and he started researching L. Ron Hubbard's life. And then he got all sorts of what they call fair game. That is any enemy of Scientology can be lied to, tricked, sued, harassed, or even utterly ruined. It's right in their scriptures that they can do this. And so he had people walking up and down his street with placards against him, people sending police against him for crimes he hadn't committed, being people telling his kids that he was evil. It was so that he 
and he was so he wrote the definitive book about Scientology. Let's sell these people a piece of blue sky, and became the de facto go-to guy about Scientology, along with several other very good researchers. And then he went away for that for a few years and then came back because he realized that a lot of people were leaving Scientology, but they were not leaving the mindset. They were still keeping some of the magical thinking, some of the victim blame, some of the self-blame, and some of the crazy worldview of Scientology. Now, how I met him was I was in my own tiny, tiny, tiny little ritual magic group, 12 people max at any time. And when I came out, the only people who could tell me what had happened to me, because it was 1990, <clears throat> never you mind, was uh, ex-Scientologists on the old BBS services, alt-scientology.religion.whatever. And so I started following Scientology and watching ex-Scientologist things. And I think one the first video where I actually reached out to the YouTuber in question was Tori Crispin, Tori Magoo 44, wonderful woman. And Chris Shelton, who is a great guy. And I started reaching out to them and I found they were wonderful people who could tell me that oh yes, this is victim blaming, this is this bit of peace, this is this sort of manipulation tactic. And along with Steve Hassan's wonderful book, Combating Cult Mind Control. And uh, about 2015 or so, maybe 2014, I heard John Atak, John Atak talking at a conference in Dublin. And I heard him talking about how it wasn't just Scientology, it wasn't just Jehovah's Witnesses, it was all sorts of groups and relationships. So from an abusive spouse to a multi-level marketing scheme, to a gang, to human trafficking, to... Um, large group awareness programs, they all follow the same playbook, they all play by the same rules, they all use the same tactics, which are actually, incidentally, the same tactics that we use, normal people, to keep cultures together. These are things that are actually used in our culture to keep keep our culture going and stick together. Things like reciprocity. You know, you take your neighbor's mail in, they walk your dog while you're away. Well, a cult leader will use that or a cult recruiter will use that. It's just a matter of how it's used, to what degree, and how reciprocal it really is. And so I heard him talking, was like, I need to I need to work with that guy. That's what I want to do with the rest of my life. And a mutual friend told me that he was looking for an assistant. So I sent over my resume, even though he calls it a CV, <laughs> over there in the UK. And uh, we just got talking. And from then, I have been working with him for, geez, five years now. And uh, we just started the YouTube channel last year, and we're having a ball with it. We really are. And among some of the pieces that I learned was uh, today's menu item is Lifton's criteria. Would you like me to go right into who Lifton is? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I do, okay. do want to say um, just hearing all of that, I think it's, it's very important for my audience to realize that it, it's not just one type of group, because I do think that we get very zeroed into like, 
well, this thing is a cult because it has religion attached to it, or it has politics attached to it. But when it comes to multi-level marketing, I think people have a hard time wrapping their head around. It's like, it's the same thing. It just, you just, you're just throwing a different name on it. You know, it's just like different circumstances, but it's the same thing. So yes, absolutely. I would love to get into Lipton now. And when you did mention Steve Hassan's book, I have it. Um, hello, right here. Because right you know, there. Yep, yep. I was fortunate enough to meet him at uh, in 2015 when uh, John and I did a conference and Chris was there and that's where I met Chris in person, face to face. And um, we had uh, we had a wonderful week in Toronto in, in June of 2015 and they're on Vimeo and we've got two of them on our channel too, the Getting Clear conference because going clear was a big thing back then. But it's not when you said it's not the cult, it, because I prefer the term high control group, because that says what it does on the tin. It's not saying that it's a religion. It doesn't have any, it doesn't yet have any baggage attached to it. But, you know, a cult, it has so such pejorative terms. It has such specific terms. People think people in robes, if anybody's ever watched Hot Fuzz. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's that bit where they're all in robes talking about the greater good. Um, that's why I prefer high control group. However, I usually catch myself saying cult because, gall darn it, it's one syllable. Yeah, well, yeah, most people understand that when you say high control, then it's like, well, yeah. this is what it means. You know, it's like, it's same thing with like, you know, multi-level marketing, if you want to, because um, Doug Brooks calls it a business opportunity cult. And so if I say business opportunity, it's like, then people are like, well, what's, it's the same thing. So it's like trying to figure out, well, what is the language I could use so that other people could understand what I'm saying without me having to, you know, have a diatribe about what this thing is. So it's, you know, oh yeah, I totally, cause I will also say high control group myself, or I'll say destructive group. And so there mm -hmm. are these different ways to describe it, but it's all the same thing. Oh, yeah. And I remember at one point during the Toronto conference, John and I are standing next to each other watching Steve talk. And he's using the word cult, even though he is the one who says, don't use cult, use destructive cult or, you know, or uh, abusive cult. And, and I leaned over to John and said, and after a particular uh, sentence where the word cult was used about seven different times, I said, can you imagine how awful that sentence would have been grammatically if he had stuck to destructive cult? <laughs> I love Steve. He's a wonderful guy. I've, I've had the honor of being one of his friends now for, for a couple of years. And it's really very interesting to personally know the guy who wrote the book that almost, I can say, literally saved my life you know, yeah. 20 years ago. That's, that's a head trip in itself. Well, I think it was the Going Clear conference. Um, I think it was part of it that I watched because I remember John was on it. Chris was on it. And so was Stephen. And yeah. there was this whole thing where um, Chris was like staring at someone. He was like doing some of the Scientology. Like, and it was like, I was just so drawn into that because I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this really does fit with what I've been through. I mean, it's not the same. It's different, but it's like, but it is the same. You know, it's the I mean, same playbooks and it's the same tools. It's just they're kind of doing it a little bit. Yeah, you're talking about our destructing, um, yeah, destructing, deconstructing yes. the TRs, the training routines. Yes, yeah. And I'll even send you the link so you 
to link it below because it's one of our more popular videos and it's one of the ones where people like to do the thing oh they shout at ashtrays yes that is one of the trs where they take an ashtray and go stand up sit down stand up sit down <laughs> and the guy who's who they're with is christian circo who is another wonderful guy who uh helps people over in the uk get away from high control groups destructive cults Abusive relationships are often referred to now as one-on-one -on -one cults, where there's one leader and one member. Yeah. Yeah, I actually talked about that. Um, this was months ago, early on in, in my YouTube career. I mean, not like I've been around that long, but, you know, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> earlier. And I actually borrowed um, one of my very dear friends, a relationship that she was in because I mean, there was a lot of like stuff going on. And so I used that as the backdrop to be able to talk about like, this is what's happening. This is what's going on because it's the same thing. It is the exact same thing. You know, it's, just, it's slightly different because like you said, it's the one-on-one, -on -one, uh, but it, it's all the same mind games, oh, yeah. type stuff. You doubt yourself and, you know, it's just all of it. Gaslighting and everything. The um, Because I was in such a small group, one of my areas of expertise, I'll say, is the small groups. And there are tiny, tiny groups. There was one offshoot of an offshoot of a Mormon group that ended up murdering a family of five. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, the book is called The Blood Prophet, I believe. It's a very, very good uh, story for a horrible, horrible thing. Or the most dysfunctional family in America back in the 80s, and it was a small family where the dad had set up his very own religion um, based on uh, a loose interpretation of male headship, some demon worship and Christianity and a whole bunch of other weird stuff based on, oh, basically, uh, if you can't, it, well, he was married to one of his daughters too. I mean, and yeah, it was pretty sick. So that families, abusive families, what was that family in California who had their kids chained up for a, for a little while? Uh, particularly in some of like uh, the independent fundamentalist Baptists, each little family is its own little micro cult. Each community is its own little micro cult. And well, this yeah, is what you all... think about um, like quiver, the Quiverful movement, and specifically, I'm going mm -hmm. to like Andrea Yates because I did a video on her because that's a Houston crime, and I'm doing true crime as well. And I cannot recall off the top of my head the dude that Rusty followed, but it, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, all of that I know had to have impacted her in terms of what was going on. Cause that's going to completely take you to a weird headspace. So, I mean, it's interesting to hear about smaller groups that they can be just as destructive and as harmful. And then I take it back into MLM because I think about, you know, being in some of these um, Facebook groups and maybe you don't have a big team. Maybe it's a smaller group or maybe it is a huge group, but there's only a few people who are interacting with each other, or you build relationships with a group of people from within that group, and then you end up keeping each other in check. Oh, yeah. Mindset going. Oh, and, and little pockets. That, um, one of the more contentious ones is, is AA a cult? To my answer is, depends on which chapter you're in. 
I have seen AA absolutely save some people's lives. I've seen it destroy lives. It all depends on which chapter you're in and which pocket and whether or not you've got a bully in your midst or even a set of bullies. I've seen Facebook groups turn into little tiny cults, even though there's no contact in the quote-unquote real world. So there doesn't need to be contact because like with what I was doing in multi-level marketing, aside from my original upline coach who was my neighbor, I mean, everybody else, it was like, it was all virtual, you know, and we all, we all kept each other in check by that. Or I had a success club partner, which now um, my friend Monica Sambida, who is also a YouTuber, does anti-MLM. She and I are every day are like, you know, sending voice clips to each other. And so we call each other our success club partners now that we're out of it because we're just, we're really just friends and having fun. But yeah, I mean, yeah. all of that is built systematically to be able to keep you within that bubble so that you, you don't use your critical thinking skills that they're completely shut down and that you really see the reality through the lens of whatever group you're in. That's an excellent segue into Lifton actually, because just in that sentence, you used a whole bunch of pieces of loaded language for one thing. And for another thing, yeah, it is all about keeping that bubble going. <laughs> Yeah, it's all about keeping people in the bubble. Um, uh, Tori Magoo, she talks about the Truman Show. She's the one who coined the phrase the Truman Show in reference to cults. And now I hear people who never even heard of Tori talk about it. She's a wonderful woman too. Love her. I shared a room with her at uh, Toronto and the poor woman had to put up with my snoring. Oh, wow. <laughs> Any case, Lifton. Robert J. Lifton. He is an amazing man. He's still alive. He's in his 90s now. And he's, he was an Air Force psychiatrist who at the end of the Korean War, I think it was the Korean War, or it might have been World War II, was somewhere in that time scheme, was, went to um, just below China and received a whole bunch of people who came out of the Maoist camps, the Maoist Reformation camps. And there were a bunch of non-Chinese who had been dragged into these camps and given what we now classically call brainwashing. And it was the real stuff where you're put in a room with a bunch of other people who are all on each other's cases and all keeping each other in check and all watching each other and all reporting back to the, to the guards and sleep deprivation, food deprivation, being beaten with interspersed with levels of kindness because just being beaten all the time doesn't work. There has to be the kindness and the beating and the kindness and the beating. People who have read Margaret Atwood's The Testaments, the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale, will remember that how they got those ants to actually be anti-woman women in that society was that they put them in a room and beat them and then took them to a nice hotel and gave them clean clothes and gave them a breathing space and then beat them again and then gave them a breathing space. But they did this in, in uh, Maoist China and several people came out and they were like, why did I sign that confession? A couple of Vatican priests actually confessed to a, to a conspiracy that didn't exist. They confessed to crimes they never did. 
why and they were why did i do this how did i do this what the happened and so lifton wrote this book called uh brainwashing in communist china or um my thought control now i'm blanking on the title of the book bad stuff no book no biscuit you have it i'm not near my bookshelf here so here it is ah yes thought reform and the totalist you see you gotta move it up because i can't say and the psychology of totalism thought reform and the psychology of totalism that's right yes Beautiful. of course i have it you know <laughs> i know the 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 books are wonderful the the things that uh like uh john we're, we're working on a we're working on a new version of his book opening minds where he goes through how a lot of this psychology works and he's pulling in not just cults but things like uh the case the louise osborne case which was a guy was calling mcdonald's and basically sexually assaulting people over the telephone oh wow how did he manage that thought reform and compliance and also the fact is that in in louise ogborn who was the victim of this case said i was raised to to obey adults no matter what they said we have an obedience driven system we really do yeah, yeah. and i should mention john's friend ira chaliff who's trying to put together actually he's doing a very good job of intelligent disobedience he works with the british military now where if you're in the british military and you think an order that you have been given is wrong you can speak up without being you know hurt wow yeah wonderful that that's that's quite different than the way it has been because it's yeah. always been squashed and you know it's really interesting when you mentioned the whole like the kindness and the, the beating like with the ab because it made me think of my stepfather because there were two mm. sides to him and it was like mm. the jerk side and he was so mean and so cruel and if that didn't work then he'd flip it and all of a sudden it was like mr nice guy and it's like yeah. i mean i grew up in all of that you know with my stepfather and that's the way it is, is, is uh, especially in abusive relationships, there's this drawing in. And then also there's something called hoovering, where they try to get you back after you're trying to leave. But uh, Lifton, so he wrote this thought, his criteria of thought reform in his chapter 22, <laughs> which became very, very, very popular. And the first thing that they do is milieu control where it's they control the atmosphere now that's once again a regular in society you go in a restaurant they're controlling that milieu the dark lighting the soft music the decorations on the wall in i'm sure in mlm training you've got you go in to the to the hotel ballroom um i'm sure it's not as ex extreme as est where you weren't allowed to go to the bathroom but they're controlling that the one tupperware party i went to the milieu was carefully controlled so that you were wanting to use those tupperware bucks to buy well within the challenge groups of beach body there's milieu within there because of i mean the the culture is built into all of it you know and when i was able to pull back and now again apply critical thinking i started seeing it's like oh my gosh this is because i i refer to you know um steve's bite model and I, I would start seeing how all of these pieces i'm like 
holy crap, it was all around me. And of course, and I had no idea. And that's the thing with anyone who's involved in a cult, a destructive group, whatever the heck you want to call it. You don't recognize it when you're in it. I could have been on fire and I would have denied the flames. I would have said I was perfectly fine. You know? Yeah. 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 Cause you're in that bubble. And, yeah. and the flames don't exist. Yeah, they're only a product of your imagination. My friend Michelle, um, who was in a Buddhist group, talks about how they would go, they'd misuse fundamentalist Buddhist teachings of all is illusion to go, well, you know, uh, that guy sexually assaulted you, but that's your imagination. That's just you imagining that that is assault. Yeah. So milieu control is the first and foremost. You got to get everybody in the bubble. Then what, what got me going was the loading, the language. Everything has got its own terms. Scientology is the worst offender. <laughs> Everything is a gall darn acronym yep. or initialization, as John rather pedantically pointed out to me a couple nights ago, because it's what you don't say it? an initialization. And he's actually right. God darn him. Um, <laughs> um, because in acronym, you actually say the letters. Yeah. In initialization, you, or you say what the letters form. Like, um, you know, you say so that uh, if instead of the arc triangle, it's the A-R-C. It's an initialization, A-R-C. And see, um, for me, I do use ARC, but it's Keller's ARC and it's motivational um, theory within instruction. And it's yeah. attention relevant, I mean, attention, relevance, confidence, satisfaction, ARCs. Yeah, there. Oh. Yeah, but you, if you say ARC, it's an acronym. If you said ARC, it's an initialization. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, pedantic. <laughs> Any coup who, um, but loading the language of like, you have to have specific language for specific things and things that might mean something totally different outside of the bubble means something totally. And there's, there's two reasons for this or two very real um, effects of it is one, it separates you mm -hmm. from the outside world because you could be having a conversation in your little code language and nobody will understand you. And it also creates a sense of specialness. <laughs> so that's, that's the first bit. And then the second bit is that it creates this, it moves your thoughts in certain ways. It can be used to stop thoughts. It can be used to just make sure you're thinking in the right way. Orwell's 1984, although it's a heck of a downer, save yourself the 200 pages. The guy ends up being, uh, spoiler alert, the guy ends up going back to Big Brother. Go instead to the index, or the appendix rather, and read the appendix, which is a talk on newspeak and how mm -hmm. in their world all of the language is being slowly narrowed down to just a few words so that you can only think in these very narrow constraints. Um, and I've seen this in my own new agey traditions where you had to say it this way. You couldn't say it that way. You had to say it this way. You couldn't say it, you know, and controlling language. I really, 
I can't stand people controlling language. That's so fascinating because, you know, reflecting back, of course, and I've talked about, I think I did a video all just on language because I was examining different um, health and wellness MLMs, just the web pages, and pointing out like how they're using all like the same kinds of words. And it really does kind of put you in a, you know, a certain kind of way of what you're thinking. But definitely when you're talking about any multi-level marketing group, I mean, there's upline, downline, there's, you know, point volume, there is like with, you know, beach body. Oh my gosh, people get so twisted because the distributors are called coach. I mean, they freak out and I'm like, it's just a word. It's just a word. It just means representative distributor. Just, that's all it is. Just, you know, calm down, but people just freak out on it. You know, so yeah. coach, diamond coach, like all of these things. If you're outside of Beachbody, you don't know what, the, you know, who cares? It doesn't mean anything, but it means something within that group. It's another way of keeping folks in the bubble because you're all speaking the same language after a while. That's all you can do. Yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the things that uh, Steve says and John says and all the others say is, don't use the language once you get out of the group. Stop using that language. You know, so that uh, it's it's kind of interesting um, working with John. I've learned that there are certain words that if I use, I know that anybody who's an ex-Scientologist is not going to know what I mean because they're going to think of the ex-Scientology definition. They're not going Give to be Give me an example. Of. That's what I was trying to think of. I was, <laughs> my God, I remember it happening to me, but I can't, reasonable. Reasonable. Okay. In Scientology, reasonable is an insult because it means you're using your reason and you're not really being your power or whatever the, you know. Okay, so use it in a sentence as the way a Scientologist would use it. Um... Jack is being reasonable in thinking that we can't make, just make it right. Oh, that whole make it right thing. I just, that drives me nuts. <laughs> make it go right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm trying to think there was another one that I'm very careful using with John too. And I can't remember what it is. Isn't that awful? Well, maybe you'll think of it, but that's interesting. So would you use reasonable? You mean, I guess, like what everybody else like in the world does? That yeah, is, like like my husband wants me to wash the dishes every once in a while. That's reasonable request. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the Scientology world, it has, oh, you're, you're thinking in a way you shouldn't. Reasonable again, because you're thinking with your reason rather than just believing it so, because agreement is reality. That's so sick. And yes. I don't mean sick like in cool, but I mean sick as in twisted, you know? <laughs> well, language does change. I mean, it silly does. used to be holy back in the 12th century. So, sorry. Uh, let's see. Mystical manipulation. This is uh, one of my favorites because I saw this happen so much in uh, New Agey. If you rub your eyes, you see all the little sparkles and that means you're seeing your aura or you're seeing the energy. No, that's actually the nerve endings in your eyes saying, don't do that! <laughs> <laughs> or, don't bring uh, science into this. Don't bring, you know, actual thought into it. <laughs> No, I know. Or um, there was one guru who it found he'd mildly electro 
electrified the kneeler in front of him so that when people came to pray, they'd feel the energy. Stop. Stop. Oh, honest to true, honest to true, um, or or um, like uh, so many Scientologists believe that they were the ones that brought down the, um, the the Berlin Wall because they had just opened a new center. What? Yeah, basically, mystical manipulation is taking reality and saying that you caused it to create the miraculous or planning spontaneity that is making the ordinary look miraculous so that you know um or even in an abusive group you go out after a fight with your with your abusive spouse and you get in a car accident well that was because you disagreed with me uh, yeah yeah okay i totally relate to that but um that is again it's that is in my magic range group, one time i annoyed our leader uh because i was setting fire to cream packets in a diner i know i was such a s silly girl you ever set fire to a creamer packet no i haven't but now i want <laughs> any case no don't 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 do this at home kids just say no and they and uh, on the way home there was a farmhouse that I always drove by that was on fire. And you caused it. I caused it. I caused it. That's actually in Yuval's latest talk. That is, um, that is one of the symptoms of temporal lobe epilepsy. The idea that if I drink this glass of water, I'm causing massive floods in the West. Oh my word. Wow. So, okay, I'm taking it back to, you know, again, to multi-level marketing, my, course, my reality, what I know. And it makes me think of like for um, Beachbody, you have a four, four vital behaviors or certain things that you need to always be doing. So then if you don't follow those, then, you know, you're not doing it correctly. So now this is why you're not having the result. But if you follow it and do it correctly, then you have the result. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the result, even if you think you did it correctly, you didn't. Exactly. No, you didn't. Never the fault of the of the abuser or the system or the group. It's always your fault for not having done it correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. why I ended up running all around the internet looking for ways to be able to crack the nut, which was uncrackable. But boy, I was determined. I am mm -hmm. so glad I never really had quote success, you know. Yeah, or um, and then there's a sacred science kind of loops into this: the idea that you can't question our system. That is that this is totally. Why is this the way it is? Because we said so. Well, why is it that way? Because it's written. Well, is it? Is, there's no questioning, and it's the doctrine has become sacred untouchable you don't it's a sacred cow and sorry but usually a sacred cow is just so much bull <laughs> it's a whole bunch of bull but it's just kind of like you know like again going back to, to beach body i think about you know shakeology well you never questioned any of yeah shakeology that was like you need to, you had to um 
when you went to the conference, you signed a wall saying that you would be on it for 365, 365 days. So you made a commitment so that you would keep buying it. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that sick? And so you couldn't question really what was in it, where it was sourced or anything or anything about it because you had someone, Darren Aline, telling you all about it or the founder's wife, Isabella, you know, like, okay, you just have to listen to what they're saying, and, but there's mm-hmm. nothing else anywhere where you can get any kind of information on this and don't you dare look somewhere else because oh, no. It no, might, all lies. It might and also it might ruin your win. Oh okay. uh, a uh, friend of a friend of John's actually told him that he was he had he bought John's copy of Peace of Blue Sky and then didn't open it for six years because he was afraid to lose his eternity. That phobia induction is real. It sounds silly when you're outside the bubble. But it's very, very, very real. I have had friends who are XJW call me up and go, oh, my God, Spike, I'm afraid that Jehovah is really going to kill me. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, it sounds silly to us, but it's a real, real phobia. And I, you know, I, yeah. Well, you know, in, in MLM world, it's that a real job, a nine to five job, whether you are, when I, because I work from home, I always have to go, it's not MLM. I always feel like I have to throw that in, but it's just like getting that thought of if you work a real job, that's absolutely horrible. It's destructive. It's awful. The only way is really MLM. This is the thing to do. This is how you're going to get freedom. You can't possibly, you know, this is, and it goes back to the black and white kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You can't, you can't do this you have to there's no in between there's no yeah i know um uh let's see the next one is the demand for purity you have to be only the best can get it so you have to give up all sorts of things you have to give up talking to your folks you have to give up this diet you have to not sin you have to not do the wrong thing you have to be pure and you're never no matter what happens you're never going to be pure enough you're never going to be perfect because the bar is always going to be raised a few more feet okay i shaved my beard off well now you have to shave your eyebrows off well i shaved my eyebrows off sorry now you must have a mohawk oh yeah i have mohawk sorry it's just to be purple now (laughs) i got that Yeah, it's always going to be one more thing. And even just like within, within Beachbody again, it's like, okay, so you make it to that rank, but now you've got to hold that rank. You lose the rank because people leave. Well, now you got to go get it again. Okay, now you've got it. But now you have to keep going to get to the next. It's always, you know, one more. And even if you do, let's say you get to the highest rank, you're never going to be able to hold it because people are going to leave. And so it's always chasing, 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 chasing. It's to keep you exhausted mentally, basically. It's to keep you mentally, spiritually, and even physically exhausted. And also uh, another level of behavior control, getting back Mm -hmm. to Steve's lovely bite model, which is a wonderful thing, too. Um, That's from Festinger, and then he added information to it. It used to, Festinger, it used to be thought, emotion, and behavior. And Steve said, oh, yeah, but it's also information. John has actually said that it should also be time and energy, too. Because time and energy, you know. But um, any case, 
let's see, and, and John and Steve have been friends for, oh, I don't know how many years now. I've got a picture of them in 1990 as two young fathers. It's very fun. Oh, how sweet. Yeah. I know, and I, and John was wearing socks and sandals, and I had to make fun of him. But apparently, that's what men do in England. <laughs> My husband does. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> Mine wears shorts from April onwards. April to October, he's wearing shorts. Ah, oh, any case. <laughs> so after the demand for purity, well, how are you going to make sure purity? By confession. The cult of confession. And this is, you have to confess your crimes. You have to say, I did this, I did that. And it's not even just what you did. It's what you imagine you did. Margaret Singer interviewed one gentleman out of Scientology who said he'd been a druggie. What had he done? He'd taken two tokes from a marijuana joint. Yeah, big druggie there. Yeah, we got ourselves a badass. <laughs> yeah, or, or, um, or John was convinced for a while that he had done heroin because he had smoked the resin of a totally different kind of poppy. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is not the heroin poppy, but the red, the red poppy you can get in Britain, not the white poppy that, that, that all of those opioids come from, you know? Uh, yeah, so you have to confess. I mean, in, in my group, I actually, we had this whole mythology created that in a former lifetime, I had been a child abusing, um, very rich man who had done horrible, horrible things. Because then, well, for one thing, confession gives you a sense of, of inferiority to whoever you confess to. Whoever you confess your crimes to, even if it's a stranger on the bus, is suddenly above you and in a position to give you advice or forgiveness or non-forgiveness or whatever that you've placed them in above you a little bit. And then also it's used for, well, people say, why doesn't John Travolta ever leave Scientology? Because he knows the minute he leaves, every single thing that he's said in the so-called privacy of those auditing sessions will be spread to the world. And John Travolta, if you're listening to this, nobody cares that you're gay. Come out of the closet, come out of the cult, and come to your senses, please. We love you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it blows my mind um, of the stars that like stay within it. And of course, the, the grand poobah that is Tom Cruise. I can't even watch any of his movies because I'm like, he's fully complicit. He's fully, complicit. he's fully, a lot of them are duped and or blackmailed. He is fully complicit, I believe, mm -hmm. because I've heard stories of and had them, you know, corroborated where he actually sent his niece into their RPF, that is the Rehabilitation Project Force, because at 14 she kissed the boy. She wasn't allowed to see her mom for five years. Holy crap. Yeah, he's, he's complicit as far as I'm concerned. So is Jenna Elfman. So are the loathsome Masterson brothers. But folks like... Um, the guy who was also a name, my, the, my name is Earl Scar, has left Scientology. His co-founder, co, um, 
co-star is still in, I think he's completely completely duped. There's a lot of good people. Elizabeth Moss, she's probably being duped because they don't see outside their bubble. They're not allowed to read or talk or understand why all of a sudden their auditor disappears for five months and then comes back looking half starved. You know, John said it himself. He never knew while he was in the amount of abuse that was going on to the staff because they keep it very, very hidden. Wow. You know, the abused woman wears long sleeves and, and sunglasses. Yeah, yeah, you don't wash the laundry outside, but you do confess all your sins inside. You know, it's interesting because taking it back to my experience again. Um, of course. But it's, it's like, because I feel like what we confess, like success club partners would confess that, oh, well, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. Or maybe I didn't. Like we would just kind of like... It was a way of definite behavior control for us and information control because it's like, I think we were always second guessing and questioning what we're doing. And But one of the things that we're also told to do is to like write out your why and also your story is something that can be relatable. So then you will confess these horrible things that have happened to you in your life, maybe on a Facebook live or whatever, or on a post. But the thing that saved you was joining the MLM. Exactly, exactly. And they want to make sure that your life before is horrible. There's one, one, um, one story of the young boy who he joined when his parents joined when he was eight. And when he left in his 20s, um, little, little papers went out against him saying that before he joined at eight, he was a drug addict, pimp, um, wife beater. It's like at eight, <laughs> but the, the life before has to be horrible because only the group can have saved you. You were a mess before. They don't want you thinking, well, actually, I had it pretty good before, and now I'm starving. No. So they'll rewrite the history, too, over that. And then that leads us into doctrine over person, which is the next point on Lifton's laundry list, where your experience, well, that's funny. I didn't experience that. Well, you got it wrong. Sorry, because the doctrine says you must do this. Your personal experience doesn't matter. In fact, your personal experience is wrong because it's the doctrine that matters, not your personal experience. So that, that kind of goes back to like it, the whole thought of like whatever you do, you're doing it wrong because you're never going to be able to live up to what the doctrine says and how to do it because you're imperfect but you're going to keep mm -hmm. chasing after it and keep on trying to do it over and over again because you want to reach that, you know, little carrot. Oh yeah. But you're still going to have to make it. Yeah. And particularly in uh, the religious groups, you little tiny mortal you versus the creator of the entire universe. Oh, who's going to win out on that? You know, <laughs> you're just a teensy little mortal. So one person doesn't matter. So that's why, unfortunately, oh yeah, Jehovah's, when a Jehovah's Witness tells you that they don't shun bull, ask them if they've seen the 2016 uh, convention and you know they have. 
because they're all required to go to the convention where they were all shown a little movie about a woman talking about how glad she was happy 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 that for 15 years her parents did not speak to her because it brought her back to jehovah what because me as one person it's online too the 2016 convention shunning video google it put it in a youtube and you will see this lovely little movie about a girl who talks about how wonderful it was that her parents even though it broke their hearts didn't contact her because even if they had contacted me once i wouldn't have come back to jehovah because you're just one tiny little human being and their eternity and pleasing jehovah Oh, that, that matters a lot more. That is nonsensical. But, you know, I, I, understand, I understand it. I understand, you know, really full on believing that. And it, that breaks my heart. Yeah. And uh, that, actually, that, that actually leads us to, this, to the last and the most deadly one, dispensing of existence. What which is, is basically the out, anybody who doesn't follow along with the plan, they don't deserve to live. Oh, wow. If you're not, um, your current Jehovah's Witness, although they won't say it at the door, and they usually don't go to doors anymore. They do the little carts now in the street. Um, they won't tell you that they actually believe that when Armageddon comes, and it's just around the corner, mm -hmm. uh, eight, only the 8 million of them will survive, but the rest, the 7.5 other billion other people on the planet will all die. Wow. Because we didn't, and there's no hell. They don't believe in hell. They yeah, don't. I know that. I know. So, so basically the rest of us, we just don't count. We're just going to dust because we are not part of their belief system. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but you see it in lots of groups. You see it that, that there's always an out group. Actually, Hitler said it. In order to bring a country together, create a common enemy. Yeah. And well, with multi-level marketing, that common enemy is a regular job. Something where you get benefits, where you are going to be, you know, paid a particular amount of money for a particular amount of time worked. And it's guaranteed, unlike multi-level marketing, where there is no guarantee. And you can work for, you know, 80 hours a week and not get jack in return, but feel like, you know, it's my fault somehow that this is not working. And let me guess, those who do work a job or those who have left are particularly demonized. Those who have left a job and are just doing multi-level marketing are cheered. Those who may- no, Those who left the multi-level marketing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, those who leave multi-level marketing. Oh yeah, you know, I'm just a hater, you know. You're, you're just a hater, you're just, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just yeah. like, I wasn't successful, so you know, that I'm just hating on everything, even though it's like I'm peeling back the layers of everything and examining it and going like, this entire system is foul. And, but you know, you never can, you never can look at it in those eyes when you're in multi-level marketing. I did a video um, of the new income disclosure statement and it's actually gotten worse from 2017 to 2018, from 2018 to 2019 and just running the numbers. And I just pretended like there were 400,000 coaches in the network. And so then I was able to really kind of like break things down in that way. And it's like, and you can see how there's less and less and less. But when you're in Beachbody, you're not going to look at that income disclosure statement. And I no, also heard no. this. 
you're looking at this income progression that these successful coaches are having. So you're seeing like, oh, look, they're making progress. Oh, they're doing so well. But what they're not saying is how much money they're spending on something, how much time they're spending. There's so many things they're they not in the garage rotting away. I've heard that garage, you, you all of a sudden have a warehouse in your garage. With Beachbody, no, not necessarily. I mean, because you're, you're only required a, a little bit, a particular amount of volume. So it's not that they don't do the front loading like, say, Mary Kay does or like oh, yeah. Little Row where you're buying, you know, that to sell it. Same thing with Mary Kay. It's not in that same way. But you still, I mean, it's still impacting you because you're not going to look at that because that's the truth. And we don't want you to see actual numbers, even though there's a lot of numbers they do leave out. But if you actually looked at it and I know if I would have looked at it when I was in it, I would have seen myself in that 1% of making all the money because you're, it goes back to, I'm going to deny the facts. I'm going to deny the flames. I'm on fire, but I don't see it. I don't see myself as being in one of the 77% not making any money. I see myself up there because I'm going to keep on working as long as I don't quit. And as long as I keep going, I'm going to make it. And that's the mindset that you're in which is just absolute lunacy. Did you have though a particular word or anything for folks who weren't living that lifestyle, who were outside the bubble? Like uh, for, for, um, for Scientologists, the word that they use for ex-Scientologists is actually a naughty word in British. It's wog, which is the N word in British. No, there's um, not a particular word other than like you're a hater. You're a hater. You're a hater. You're a loser. You're sour grapes. You know. You're or you're just ignorant if you don't think that that's particularly when somebody says, "Well, is that a pyramid scheme?" Yeah. Or that because yeah. you're taught to say like, "Oh, well, a pyramid scheme is illegal," and blah 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 blah. And a job is just over broke. I mean, so it's like all of these things where it really demonizes. I would guess say the normal life versus yeah. you know, anybody outside the bubble is 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 horrible yeah. anybody um in in my group we were taught that everybody was a, a construct what that is con okay so it was a construct uh, basically a body without a spirit programmed to react to you in a certain way to teach you a certain lesson or just be there to deliver your sandwiches pump your gas or oh. fill up the world generally wow you yeah. know I think one of the things that is so horrific about all of these groups, I don't care what kind of thing that it is, mm -hmm. is the loaded language of manipulating oh, yeah. people through language because oh, yeah. it really does just, it does a number on your brain. To pick on my own political side, I'm a, I'm a good leftist. I believe in progressive values, but one thing I hate is the way that, and I think we've only stabbed ourselves in the foot by saying you can't say this, you can't say that, making certain words illegal. To quote a very good, uh, a wonderful man that I met who was a blues singer, it's not the N word, it's the disrespect behind it. Yeah. It's not the words itself, it's, it's the, uh, or uh, oh, who was it who said it? It was, um, oh, who played Donkey and Shrek? Gosh, oh, I, don't. I, I miss my memory. <laughs> <laughs> I, I miss my memory. Um, but in case he said, it's the racist mofo behind the word. And he's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because, 
because that basically turned the quote and also polarization thinking that we don't have anything in common well i'm sorry one of my dear friends is is an old diehard republican and we can sit down and have a discussion and not hate each other just because we disagree about political stuff isn't that amazing you can actually be reasonable and talk to somebody that's but there's mm -hmm. so much of, of that in the media that it's like fragmented, like we're just, everything's so, so opposite. It's like, but you know what? Right. Really much yeah. more like this than it is this. But yeah, and it's like, like this. We're, and what we discover is usually we're actually looking for the same thing. Yeah. We yeah. have different ways of describing it, you know, and... But instead, it's who's on what side of the aisle, red versus blue, right versus left, you know, and let's call uh, everybody who doesn't agree with this socialists, and let's call everybody who doesn't agree with this fascists. And, yeah. yeah. The majority of us. Thank you so much. Yeah, the majority, I mean, you know. <clears throat> or, or um, I was I was brought up by a bunch of real diehard separatist feminists, rather than just a woman who thinks that she ought to be treated like a human being, which is my definition. No, their definition was: if we can send one man to the moon, why can't we send them all? Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So all men were evil, and you know, sorry, but oh, that's no. healthy, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's not healthy. Sorry. I want to, you know, and so, but then also then there's the guys who, if you try to have any kind of autonomy or not be a little pink haired, <laughs> then you're a feminazi. Yeah. Yeah. It's when people can actually sit down and have real conversations and not judge each other, you know, mm -hmm. and just, just, I mean, talk, it doesn't, you know, but yeah. we've made everything. So, and I really feel like that's what's happened in the anti MLM world that there's people who are very much like, you know, like, like myself, where I feel like I, I want to educate on everything. And then there's people who like want to just hate on the people who are still part of multi-level marketing and just, you know, tear them down in some way, because we're going to expose them and do this and do that. And it's like, but how is that going to help when you do that? Not saying that I am the end all be all because I'm not. And there's no, a but place to be able to go like, this is horrible behavior. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it has also kind of this, there's this fervor to like DM people or to leave real nasty comments on social media in some way mm -hmm. or to you know, yeah. take your pictures and then say nasty things. about. And I'm like, I don't know how that is going to heal anything. Yeah. Well, John tells about uh, one guy that he counseled out of Scientology who had been in the Sea Org, their paramilitary unit, and there, were, there was a protester, and he'd been on the RPF, the Rehabilitation Project Force, where you do hard labor, speak only when spoken to, eating table scraps, and he w his life was miserable, and this protester comes along and spits on him. Now, do you slap an abused spouse? Do you yell at an abused child? If you think about somebody who's still in an MLM or a cult or an abusive relationship as somebody who is in an abusive relationship, they are not the person that you should be angry at. Uh, when I was in my stupid little group, I had people shouting and yelling. Do you think that all that does is it makes them think that 
they're that they're right their leader is right everybody outside the group is horrible and evil and awful it just drives them further in the one person that made me think about whether or not my group was right was the guy who saw me hungry and wet and gave me a bowl of soup and a hug it's, it's amazing what kindness can do you know yeah, and and not being, you know, back uh, when I first got into the sci the uh, the Scientology watching, I saw a bunch of protesters shouting outside the org, and we wish you a bucket of AIDS, and it's like, what? Excuse uh, me, talk about demonizing people. Yeah. You know, there are some people who talk about the ex Scientology cult, which is basically that that's such because it isn't. But yes, there are times that that group does get a little bit clubby, but for the most part, no, they're all on their own agendas, doing their own things now that they're out. But yeah, they and they quite naturally get very, very, very angry at this group that has stolen their time, their money. But then like human beings, I mean, I will admit that I have yelled at Jehovah's Witnesses who have come to my door and I'm very sorry that I did that. I should have been polite. But at the time I just finished talking to a friend of mine whose JW father abused her and whose JW mother killed their cats. And when she went to the elders, she was told that it was her fault because she hadn't been a nice, a good girl. You know, at like 10. Oh. You know, so I just finished that. And then there's these people telling me that they're the best people on the planet. And so I kind of exploded. And I'm sorry that I did. And I think it, it happens. I mean, you know, it, it's because it's, it, you do, you get, and I hate using this word, but it, it fits in this instance. You are triggered when you're seeing these people do the things that you were doing and that you believed. And so now you want to just lash out at them. And it's like, but would you want someone to behave like that? towards you like you know is that really good and i always say in terms of the anti-mlm world that the huns are the symptom the mlm is the root of the problem not the people who have joined not and the i say mlm i'm talking about like the umbrella of the concept of mlm and then just plug in whatever name you want to in there because there's so flipping many of them question how's melaleuca on the uh on that scale have you heard of a oh yeah company it's, it's mlm Okay, because I dodged a bullet then, because I was working at uh, a nursing home and uh, somebody's brother who, uh, who was visiting came and said, you're a nice, cheerful person, all that, you know, love bombing there. Oh, you're, you're really great. And they actually bought me dinner out at a nice restaurant to try to get me into Melaleuca. But at the time, I didn't go for it. So, yeah, bullet dodge. It's, yeah, because it's just, it's basically, it's similar in a way to Market America, because it's like this whole shopping, shopping club, Market America, it's shopping annuity, Amway, I don't know what they call it, but it's like where you can get all of the stuff that you already do buy, but just do it through here, and you'll make, you know, it's like, oh, just stop, just yeah. I had a friend that Shakely was her life, and actually the cleaning products were pretty damn good, one must say, but uh, at the same time, the, the way they took over her life was Every, every alternative to whatever MLM product there is out there because the, the MLM products are overpriced. Oh, yeah, yeah, don't know where they're made. I mean, it's like they have to be, it's like uh, you can always find something that's you, you don't have yeah. to. Them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these days I use Dr. Bronner's because I, I, I like their eucalyptus smell best. <laughs> I get like Dr. Teal's for my like Epsom salts 
interested in bath. I, I love those, you know, mm -hmm. but um, I'm, going to go, I'm going to wrap this up and then we can say oh, yes. our goodbyes and everything. But thank you so very much for coming on. And I'm sure that I can have you back on if you would be interested in, because there's, there's so much to be able to talk about to, you know, I mean, this, this, this onion yeah. is layers upon layers upon layers. Yeah, there is. And thank you for having me. It's been really fun. And uh, thanks for, uh, you know, for giving my tan many, many tangents. Thank you, Spike, so very much for joining me today. I always find it so interesting to talk to somebody else who was involved in a high control group. I mean, myself, it was Beachbody, it was MLM. But you know, the thing is, is that there's always so many similarities and you're, you're really not expecting that because you can always kind of think yours is kind of its own unique thing, but they really come with so many of the same exact plays. And I think it's difficult sometimes for people to wrap their head around the concept of multi-level marketing being a high control group or another word that you might know is cult because we typically you know when you think of cult you probably think of things like the branch davidians jonestown i mean different like real extreme groups you know heaven's gate that sort of a thing but really when you peel back that onion when you start examining the way that you were manipulated which you may not even realize what was going on and you probably don't because i know I didn't. I had no idea this was going on while I was in the throes of being, you know, a beach body coach and all that. But when you start really critically examining what was going on, what was happening, and how that all fits into the criteria that Lifton laid out, I think that you'll just kind of go, uh -huh, wow, that really was going on. And, you know, honestly, for me, it was pretty shocking to come to that realization. If we believe that there is an injustice in the world, and honestly, I feel like multi-level marketing is an injustice because it damages people in so many different ways, I think it's important for us to stand up and speak out against those things that we think are harmful to others. Because I want people to avoid, you know, the pain that I endured, maybe the pain that you endured. I mean, definitely pain other people have gone through because they decided to join a multi-level marketing company. And remember, change starts now.